0: You're listening to For The Lore, the podcast that delves into the craft of our favourite games, whether lore, gameplay, or game design. Each week, Roger is joined by Joe, Vince, and Marty.
1: For me to start, I was testing you and you failed, motherfucker. <laughs> you failed miserably.
2: I mean, I knew my point was up first, made no mention of having to do an intro. I wanted
1: to see how quick you would be, essentially. I was I was testing you. Well, you fucking I realized failed. it pretty
2: early, and then I was frozen with fear of do I want to see it? <laughs>
1: Hello, welcome to the show, folks. It is the 30th of October, and we've got an interesting show because PlayStation had, oh, I should say, Sony had their PlayStation presser at the Paris Games Week. And I don't know about you guys, but par for the course for them, I was fucking impressed. So, Vince, you're on.
2: Right. Uh, did you happen to catch the pre-show that they did before the actual press conference? Yeah, I did. Right. It's <laughs> funny enough, the pre-show was actually longer than the actual conference, but that's... Uh... That's neither here nor there. Yeah, they did a, an hour long pre show with like, I don't know, community people or whatever, and um, mostly focused on indie games and a lot of VR content. And they started off with a hell of a bang. Joe, I know you're here with me. Guacamole 2.
3: I was literally just typing that all in caps into Twitter while I was waiting for you to get to it because I wanted to scream it at the top of my lungs. Fuck yes! <laughs>
2: So, for those who aren't familiar with the first game, first of all, get familiar. But second of all, it's a uh, Metroidvania style, like exploration combat game where you play a giant badass luchador who can turn into a chicken. Yeah,
3: because why not? And punches goats. It is amazing. <laughs> it is probably one of the best games that I've played in years. Oh my God, I can't wait for this. Oh my God. I need I it. Think, I, need I think it so they, they,
2: they didn't announce a date for it. I think maybe they said sometime 2018,
3: possibly. I think they said 2018, yeah. Oh my God. Mm-hmm. And if it goes, if it gets released on the... oh yeah. Okay, I'm good.
2: <laughs> <laughs> with that out of our system, moving on, we had a game called Hong Kong Massacre, which takes the uh, hotline Miami formula of like the super speedy, kind of hardcore, top down shooter that made that game so popular and, you know, just sets it in China with gun foo. So, you know, imagine your favorite John Woo movie or, you know, Chow Yun-Fat or something. And, okay, I mean, I wasn't too into Hotline Miami, but I can definitely see the appeal to this one. It looked
1: awesome. I thought it looked Mm -hmm. cool as shit.
2: Then we had uh, our, you know, artsy indie to start this one off with of The Gardens Between, which, you know, we don't know too much about it, but it shows these two, uh, I believe they're brothers, navigating, you know, these odd puzzles And the core factor here is time manipulation. I believe they said it was actually inspired by Braid. So you have fast forwarding, rewinding, having two different characters to control a la... uh, Brothers. Was it Tale of Brothers? Yeah. Uh, And having to solve all the puzzles. So this could be a lot of very creative puzzle solving, which I really enjoy. Plus, it's gorgeous.
1: They must have only talked about that during the pre-show because I didn't see that one.
2: Yeah, I I tuned into the pre-show just as they were uh, showing the trailer and then I, you know, read up on it a little bit afterwards. Okay, cool. Because I didn't even know they were doing a pre-show. And then I saw Guacamelee! 2 on Twitter and I went, what? (laughs) Uh, They've announced that uh, Sims 4 is coming to PS4 with a lot of the PC content in tow, as well as Tennis World Tour, which, uh, if you're into tennis games, this one did look... Damn impressive from a a simulation standpoint. And then they got into the bulk of the presentation, which was VR stuff. And I got to say, even as the guy who's not super into VR, a lot of this was very enticing
1: to me. (laughs) There was some really cool stuff, but this is year two for them now. And Mm -hmm. so you can see the definite improvements in the quality of the games. Not all of them, but you can see how... They've looked at what was successful, what did work well, and how to do that same kind of thing. Because year one, same as with early stuff with Rift and Vive, there's a lot of experimentation to see what works and what doesn't. And also what looks good and what doesn't, because I've said it often, the um, the PSVR, as much as I love it, is does not look that great in all games. Some games, yes, it looks really good, but other games it looks like shit. And it's not because of the alignment with the eyes, because I've clearly done that and and different things. It's just some just don't look good. So now year two, and I'm I'm quite certain with year three, we're gonna see a lot of improvements because those devs have looked at what worked and what didn't work.
2: Right. And right off the bat here, they had one that was very impressive to me called Bow to Blood, which the best way I could describe it is it's Hover Junkers by way of Star Trek bridge crew. Where you play the crew of this airship in giant pirate battles in the sky with, you know, everybody manning their post, be it, you know, just, you know captain steering the ship, people on the guns, as well as actually just being able to pull out a gun yourself and shoot people. So, like, I mean, it's a perfect VR game. It looks astounding. It should be a lot of fun to play, I believe. Yeah, Definitely. They showed a little bit of a game called Megalith about like ancient god or ancient, you know, powerful beings battling it out for godhood, which sounded really interesting as like a VR, almost primal rage to me. But then they said it's actually a shooter combat game, which I don't know how I feel about that. Not that I have anything against shooters, but this game felt like it would be a lot more effective with, you know, melee combat, but we'll see how that one works.
1: Shooting works a lot better
2: in uh, in PSVR okay way way better and we got a nice look at moss the game that they showed off i think it was at e3 originally yeah where it's like the the mouse guard style uh actually play it third person in the vr but it looks like you know it's not a of course core vr experience but it still gets you into the world and the controls seemed like they were pretty solid for what they're doing here
1: okay that's actually if i may um not to speak to your level of, of knowledge with VR, mm-hmm. but it's kind of a misconception that what you want out of a VR game is the first person. Um, in many cases, actually, you can have a spectacular experience uh, in a third person, which is kind of what this appears to be. And like you said, it puts you in the world. To me, it feels very much like um, like AR... Only you're in another world using mm-hmm. AR, essentially, is what it feels like. And there are times when that works to perfection. And that's actually one of, I for me, I feel, one of the best types of games in PSVR for me right now is that. That controlling it from a third-person perspective and just kind of... Um, that essentially god mode kind of thing and it works amazingly well there is next to no uh emotion sickness either or nausea from that type of gameplay so i would imagine really well
2: Uh, i I really appreciate that you know finally a lot of you know developers are breaking away of like okay we did our first person game what else can we do with vr another first person game is usually their second answer so it's a game like this with high production values i think it could in addition to being a good game in and of its own, can kind of push the industry forward a little bit as well.
1: Yeah, and it just looks, well, again, it's going to depend on what the story is. We have a soft spot for it because we equate it with Mouse Guard, but it's not mm-hmm. going to be Mouse Guard. No. So we're going to have to see whether or not that, that comparison is, is actually worth it. But in terms of excitement for PSVR games, that's really high for me right now. Mm-hmm.
2: We also got to look at uh, Star Child, which I'll be honest, I have no idea what the hell this game's about, but it looks damn cool. Yeah. And Sprint Vector, which just seems like a motion sickness simulator. It's essentially jet set, radio, laser, rollerblade, obstacle course racing. I,
1: Those actually work fairly well again in VR. Yeah. You wouldn't think it, but it's kind of like Thumper. You know, you're, mm-hmm. you're racing along really fucking fast and they make sure to give you uh, cues as to whether you're going to turn or anything well in advance. And then there's certain other uh, mechanics, whether it's grappling or different things like that. And those, again, those actually surprisingly work really well with next to no nausea. Like I never get sick with Thumper. And in fact, it's a fantastic game for me for pain relief.
2: Great. Great. And then they'd already showed off a trailer for this about a month or so ago, but we got another look at the free DLC coming to Resident Evil 7 called Not a Hero, which is going to move into a more action-oriented gameplay style by bringing in Chris Redfield, one of the classic characters from the franchise, and melding him into the story here. I mean, it from all accounts, Resident Evil 7 is the highlight of the PSVR lineup, so I... I I still, still want to play this game and I kind
1: of do want to play it in VR. <laughs> the problem is, is that that is actually one of the games that I find is pretty nausea inducing, mm-hmm. not the worst, but bad enough that I haven't bought it. Even when it was on sale, there was a ridiculously good sale recently and I didn't bother buy it. I asked Tristan if he wanted it because he actually didn't make him sick and he enjoyed it. And he said, nah, he probably wouldn't play it. And mm-hmm. I mean I love those horror games. So th- this was the game for me that I was hoping right. I'd be able to play and I can't because even with the click to turn at 45 degrees say it still is somewhat nausea inducing for me sadly. Uh, that
2: that is real sad here cuz I know a lot of people have loved it without having those same yeah. issues but uh, VR is one of those things where it's going to differ from person to exactly, person.
1: Exactly, exactly.
2: And they also announced that there's going to be a gold edition of RE7 coming out in December with the core game, the not a hero as well as the couple uh, paid DLC expansions and then a third DLC expansion that essentially they announced here by just showing off a, a screenshot of it. So lots still to come from Resident Evil 7. I know this is going to sound stupid,
1: but you one play of the that games dead hungry game, that... Don't you <laughs> huh? you want to play that Dead Hungry game, don't you? Absolutely, yes. <laughs> <laughs> it
3: takes the formula we've seen... In countless VR
2: games of the job simulator sort of formula, you're basically running a burger hut in the zombie apocalypse. Yes. And you oh, have I've seen keep, this. You have to cook burgers yes! and fries and throw them at the zombies to keep them keep fed. Keep occupied. So they yes. You.
3: That's amazing. I've oh, I've seen I've that. It's, just, it's so hilarious to watch.
1: It, actually, I will say that one probably plays amazingly in PSVR because mm-hmm. you're not moving your arms are moving but your body is moving so you've got that frame of reference so you you don't have to worry then about getting motion sickness and the uh, move controllers are plenty good enough for grabbing fucking burgers and shit and throwing <laughs> it at zombies so i have a feeling it's going to be actually pretty fucking good probably on the psvr
2: yeah and then the next step we had stifled which is a very unique experience in that it's a VR game essentially without graphics. I, I don't know if you are a blind character or for whatever reason you can't see and you have to navigate this game world by sound, you know, throwing rocks or. You We've know. seen that before though, too. Have Sorry. we seen it in VR though?
1: No, not like this, Joe, and th- not in VR. I know yeah. the game that you're talking about, but it's not like this. No,
3: are you think about the VR game where you're the spelunker? Because there is a VR game out there right now that uh, essentially you are going after a research uh, team that went missing and you get stuck in this like super deep, dark cave where it's pitch black, which anybody who's been spelunking knows that, that that's something that could happen and your lights go out. And so you have to essentially paint the walls and objects around you with sound, including the enemies, in order to see them and interact with them. So it's... So I'm not trying to shit on the new concept or the concept that the other game is, is putting out. I'm just saying it, it's an interesting thing to see that there's more of, particularly moving into the VR realm with that specific concept, and I think that's kind of nifty.
2: It's the first time I'd seen it in a VR game, but yeah, it might not be the first time it's actually existed.
1: I've, I, As somebody, again, who's spent a lot of time in VR now, the idea of... Um, of something that radically different now really appeals to me because I've had a few moments in a variety of games. Some of them mundane things, some of them, but I didn't have that frame of reference. So for me, it was like, holy shit. Now that I've experienced that, that's actually one of the things that I look forward to the most now, because It really broadens the mind. It really is cool because, again, it's something that you have absolutely no frame of reference for. And because for all intents and purposes, your brain tells you you're there, you're experiencing it. So this kind of thing that is, again, so radically different really appeals to me a lot. And, again, probably not nausea-inducing at all looking at what I saw there. I'd like to see this
3: concept grow too, because this is something that intrigues me. And we talked about it before where you have like those VR uh, arcade theme park things where you go in with the backpack and the the VR helmet and it's sort of a 4d experience. Imagine something like this applied to that. And I think that would be super cool.
1: Yeah. Well, see the reason too is, um, I was thinking about the other game because we discussed it on this podcast extensively about that horror game, remember? Where you kind of had to make noise to get to see what was ahead of you and you relied a lot on the noise of the, the house as well. I can't remember the name of it and I know it hasn't come out yet, but we were really excited for it. And this is that same kind of thing, that same kind of mechanic, only in VR, which again makes such an incredible difference. It's the difference between playing a game on a screen and being in that world it's night and day Mm -hmm.
2: all right next up we had league of war vr arena another very cool concept where it's a like wartime strategy game where you play the commander of the army and you play out the battles by actually like putting models on a tabletop map like you know actual like battle planning looked very cool uh yeah, It felt twist. like AR again. Yeah, exactly. It, fe- it feels like a tabletop simulator sort of effect, just scaled up with really nice graphics and put into VR, which
1: and great. It's awesome. Yeah. That's a kind it, of it, stuff. It's
2: like those other games we've seen where it's like, you know, Oh, the Yu-Gi-Oh card battle and yes, stuff like that. Yeah, like yeah, this, yeah. this is the next step to making that work, which is that ex- that's probably the most exciting part of it. What I like also. about
1: that is if you're couch co-oping with someone, I'm not saying they're doing that with this one because I clearly, I don't know yet. Um, but the idea of competitive gameplay between you in the VR and them in uh am playing on the TV, neither seeing the other person's resources or whatever they would keep hidden, like their 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 hand, essentially kind of thing. So I'm hoping we see that kind of thing where there's neither has an advantage over the other, but you are clearly playing against each other. Mm-hmm.
2: And finally, for the VR segment, we had another one that I'm just as excited for as I am with Dead Hungry, and that is Monsters of the Deep, the Final Fantasy 15 fishing game.
1: Okay, we're not <laughs> done after that because there's other fucking VR ones that are more important than that stupid shit.
2: I, I might have missed them in my notes. So yes, <laughs> if you have anything more awesome than catching giant fantasy fish. Yes,
1: I do. <laughs> <laughs> take it away then, Roger. I was going to do it after your stupid fucking fish but fine we'll do this one first. <laughs> um, in the demo disc that you get with the PSVR one of the the games is uh the heist. And well it's an experience. Well no it is a game. It's short, it's a demo more or less kind of thing, but it's a heist and you can there's different stuff that you can do with um target practice and moving targets and things like that. And then you go on this heist kind of thing and you're in a car with somebody and you shoot at people and whatnot. But it really kind of struck a a nerve with people because it was very well done, especially if you got the actual game that was the extended version. So what they did is knowing that is they went forward with an actual full game of of that kind of deal, really pushing it a lot further with the story, with everything that you can do in there, and that's uh, blood and truth. So that
2: I, I do have that in my notes. That was in the main presentation.
1: Yeah, I well, I just figured you were doing all the PSVR stuff early, but yeah, that was fantastic. And then they also talked about both Invector, which was this cool racing oh, yeah, game yeah. that like the, neon lights and stuff. Uh, which like the frequency or yeah amplitude sort of game, yeah. And there was also that or or however the fuck they're pronouncing it, which ridiculous name, but look cool as shit. Yeah.
2: I also have I, I don't think that was a VR game. Was it? Uh, yeah.
1: Okay. I, I have that. Or, maybe not. Maybe that. not the Ore one, but the in vector is.
2: Yeah. Vector. Yeah. In vector was.
1: Okay. All right. I'm done now.
2: Okay. So <laughs> the awesome final fantasy fishing game was their way to segue back out of the VR segment by showing off the next DLC for final fantasy 15 proper episode Ignis.
1: <sighs> Okay, so... Somebody just settled in there for a rant. <laughs> not a rant,
2: not a rant. And this is going to be full of spoilers for Final Fantasy 15. so stop listening. Not a rant, it's talking no. loudly
3: and angrily, but not a rant.
2: They, again, the reason Final Fantasy 15 has so many issues is because it was plagued with problems in development, and they essentially put out the game they had. So with these DLCs that they've put out focused on some of the individual characters, like they've learned a lot from it and like how to tell a story being one of the main ones. So what we have here with episode Ignis, there's a point about halfway through the game where, you know, the party splits up and the, the main character has to go like perform this giant ritual to summon the sea God and whatnot. And then the evil empire attacks. And when they get back together, You know, they find out, you know, the rest of the party was, you know, doing their best to protect the city. But the the one character, Ignis, in the battle lost his eyesight. And that becomes a major point throughout the rest of the game of having a disabled character in your party. So what we have here is episode Ignis is his role in that battle and finding out, you know, what happened that made him lose his sight, as well as expanding upon a lot of the story elements that were not properly explained in the core game. So, I mean, the trailer they showed off this was very good, you know, very emotional, a lot of really good stuff here that fans have been wanting because, again, it was a story that wasn't in the main game, but you're going to pay for your season pass to get it. The one thing that really bothers me about this, though, and they show this at the end, is that they say this DLC is going to have multiple endings because Ignis has to make a choice at the end, and we we see that in, in, in the trailer here, which is incredibly foolish to me Because this episode slots into a story that already has been finished. So sort of creating a temporal paradox, I don't know really what they're giving fans by giving this multiple endings. Like, it would be like, you know, Rogue One came out and just said, fuck Star Wars, we're just gonna do our own ending. Like You can't can't do that with an already established story, so that really
1: bothers me. I think they can, only it's going to be a lot more subtle in terms of what the difference is between the different, let's say, routes, essentially, so that if like the motivation is different. The, the end result is the same. He still has to do what he has to do to proceed in the story, but the motivation is what's going to be different for people. So it's almost as if the third act for that character is going to be what is malleable, which can be different for different people. The fourth act is still him doing what he has to do. in, in the, at the end with the, the, the rest of the crew.
2: Again, knowing what I know about the main game and kind of what they show in the trailer. I don't see how that's possible, but I'll reserve final judgment. But again, I'm not super excited from what we see here. Aside from the fact that they brought in Yatsunori Matsuda to do the music, who is a legendary composer in the JRPG genre. So big thumbs up to them on that one. And then they finished out the pre-show with uh, revealing two new games coming. Uh, The first we had mentioned as Ore, which is a very journey Feel to it of just I don't exploring this crazy world with beautiful graphics by way of playing children who can turn into dragons and fly through the world and they they mentioned something about you know the guardians of the world need to you know be reminded of their jobs and stuff like that it's again it's a very journey thing of here's a world go explore it have fun and interact with the story and of course the big thing is it's out now.
1: You can buy it today. It looked friggin' awesome. And it Mm -hmm. looked gorgeous. Absolutely beautiful. Coincidentally, a game that I can easily see myself playing in VR just in the the screen mode, essentially. Just because it would look so gorgeous on such a big screen to play.
2: Mm -hmm. I'm trying to look it up real quickly. I don't know if it's... I know it's not... A VR-only game, but it might have a VR mode.
1: I don't think there is VR, actually. They they talked about it it in the uh, the pre-show when they were talking about VR. So it was kind of grouped in that that category of discussion, but I don't think it had any VR.
2: Yeah, on the the PlayStation Store page, it says playable on PS4. So I don't know if VPSVR is kind of part of that.
1: No, it would say PSVR.
2: Okay. Yeah, because when I, when I look up the store, new on VR, it's not there. Yeah. But I would I would imagine this is a game that they have to at least be working on a VR version of because it screams for it. Oh,
1: that would be awesome. Yeah. Well, there's a couple of games that are, well, one in particular, very kind of similar in theme to that already. Mm-hmm.
2: And then finally, they ended up with the reveal of Spelunky 2, which I know the first Spelunky was a huge phenomenon. I never played it, but there
3: you go. Spelunky too, where it looks like maybe you're going to the moon. You need to play the first one. <laughs> like you really do. Like when we talk about playing Guacamele, Spelunky is another one. It, it,
2: oh, I, I I know like it's a fantastic game. Like I know what it what it is, what it's about. I just never played it personally.
3: Fix it. Fix it. <laughs> anyway, this actually really excited me, uh, because it looks like they're progressing the story where the original character retired and had a baby that baby's grown up to be an adventurer. And now you're going to look for your missing parent type thing. So it, it's taking a little bit of a twist uh, to the original one, which was basically searching for Eldorado, the city of gold. Um, and I kind of dig that uh, the first game was really, really cool as far as like its mechanics and how it dealt with the enemies. I can't wait to see what they do in this one. I'm a little curious if it's going to be on anything beyond the PS4. I would imagine. So I hope so. But, I mean, if it's not, I am I will buy it. I will absolutely buy it for the PS4. I'm into it. Great.
2: And that rolled us into the main presentation, which came out of the gates on fire. Dude. Somewhat literally, with the new Fuck. game from Sucker Punch, the, the studio responsible for the Sly Cooper series, as well as Infamous, with Ghost of Tsushima. And holy shit, if you're into samurais and ninjas, have I got the game for you? Because this was gorgeous, and like it painted this picture of feudal era Japan, where it appears that you play a samurai who was pledged to a house that perhaps has fallen and has taken on a mission of revenge, which, say no more. Like, literally, I don't need to know anything else about this game. <laughs>
1: It was literally, I tweeted it too. It was like right out of the gate, must must buy game. Like, and must buy right away. It was ridiculously good looking. Mm-hmm. And the concept, everything. I mean, we know each other well. Literally, that was playing. It was like, oh, my God, I should message Vince just to say, like, oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> We're playing this day one, right? Look at this fucking game. And it was just amazing. Mm-hmm.
2: And uh, next up, we had another phenomenal looking game in Concrete Genie, Uh, much more artsy style where you play, I don't know if the kid's homeless or not, but he spends a lot of time on the streets by himself and with the magical paintbrush where he paints these incredible environments and creatures. Looks like there's a lot of uh, player input on how the stuff actually looks. It's not just a simple press X to monster. Uh, so you can build the monsters how you want with various body parts looks like a a lot of uh, special abilities they'll have to kind of like help you navigate the environment but not only that there's there's a lot more depth here it looks like of you know also again kid on the streets he's dealing with bullies he's getting picked on and maybe these monsters that he's creating maybe from his imagination maybe not i'm throwing that out there as well are his only friends and like there's this just has so much
1: charm to it. I,
2: I adore it, in addition to just being stunningly beautiful.
1: I was amazed by it, because I hadn't heard a thing about it, and it just has so many things going for it, from the 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 story, the character that you care about almost immediately, and you certainly want to know more about him, and then the... The art within, because that's what it is. He's tagging stuff, so you're getting that art, and that art is coming to, li- uh, to life. And it's these beautiful colors and vibrant neon colors sometimes too, and whatnot. It was just a beautiful, beautiful looking game that has the potential to have a lot of depth in it. And and yeah, I I'm really excited to try that as well. Mm-hmm. Changing things a bit. Next up, we had.
2: Erica, which in a lot of ways is like a throwback to the old, like interactive movie Sega CD style of games with appear to be mostly, if not entirely a live action uh, playing out here. And it's, you know, one of those like kind of David Cage-esque games where, you know, you make your decisions, you know, do you pick up the phone? Do you walk away? Stuff like that. But it's something we've seen so many times before, but what makes this interesting is that it uses Sony's new PlayLink technology, which we talked about. I again, I think it was a little after E3 with the game hidden agenda where the entire th- concept is like you play this game with multiple people, preferably, you know, in a couch setting uh, where you each have your input uh, on your phones for the decisions that are made. So I, Again, if the game was just kind of a standalone thing of itself, it wouldn't be anything special beyond what we've already seen, but I like that they're continuing to work with that technology. I agree. And then we had a VR montage, which contained mostly stuff from the pre-show, and then this is where they showed off Blood and Truth, which looks freaking amazing. Combination, James Bond, John Wick, spy thriller, shootout, heist. It looks fucking crazy, and it looks amazing.
1: And again, they would have improved upon what they already were doing in the demo that came with the PSVR, which, mm-hmm. f- while far from perfect, was really, really good at some things and really fun as well with other things. So knowing that and then building upon that, I'm, I've am i got a good feeling about this game, actually. Cool. Good. Because, it,
2: again, it looked damn impressive. And they showed off some of the uh, Far Cry 5 co-op campaign, which... Looks like glorious destruction. <laughs> a ton of fun, but uh, we've talked about that game at length at this point. They don't really show anything it, yeah. new. We're
1: already sold on that game.
2: <laughs> However, the highlight of the show came right in the middle, which... It, did you know Destiny's getting getting a DLC expansion this year? Yeah, really. We hadn't heard of <gasps> that. <gasps> Apparently, it's called <laughs> Curse of Osiris, and it <gasps> takes place on Mercury. Like breaking news. <laughs> so, yeah, <laughs> this confirms the, the leaks and rumors that we'd heard uh, over the past several weeks. But even knowing what was coming, this was still fucking awesome because I can't wait to see what the hell Osiris has been up to and deal with Vex enemies from across time. Like, yeah, great. I, we're We're all loving this game and I'm ready for more. Marty, you have
1: nothing.
0: Um, I was just waiting for permission to go. Cause like
1: once I start, I won't stop. Okay. Like, you know what? Actually, I'll yeah. say this. Hold it, please. Let's finish this up. We're <laughs> going to go hold. to destiny two later. And then after Joe's done, you can gush like crazy with this.
0: I'm going to hit mute and get going so that when I, it's my turn, I'm going to go from like zero to sixty, like that, like a Maserati. We right can back. do that.
1: <laughs>
2: all right we got another look at monster hunter world which still looks damn impressive
1: good looking game
2: and the plot twist at the end on the playstation version Aloy from horizon zero dawn is going to be playable and that is perfect
1: like absolutely wonderful almost a reason to make sure to buy the game (laughs) like (laughs) i was really impressed with that
2: uh, more looks at uh, Call of Duty World War Two. Anybody care? Didn't think so.
1: It looked good, though. Yeah. I, I won't play it, but holy fucking hell did it ever look good. I, I,
2: I mean, looking at it objectively, it's the series returning to its roots with a decade of gameplay and storytelling yeah. experience under its belt, and that could be interesting, but at this point, I'm burned out on Call of Duty. Like, I don't care.
1: <laughs> it's just that it's they may be able to create an astounding story because all I would care about would be the campaign. So they may be able to, unfortunately I feel that they would probably rely too much on a lot of tropes, cliches and story elements and things that we've already seen so many times. And for that time period. So that's the only reason why I wouldn't, I am why I'm not going to pick it up. You excited as I was for Onrush though. Which one was
2: that again? Now that's the uh, crazy off-road dirt bike. That looked fucking
1: awesome. Uh, you know, that looked cool Racing as game. As hell, yeah, because
2: I know you're really into like the Sims style racing games. You know, the Forzas, and the Grand Turismo's, and stuff. But I like all Whereas, racing
1: games. I like. I know, I know all of them. So that's Where, this was awesome.
2: Yeah, because I personally love the crazier your fucking racing game, the more I'm into it. And this seemed over the. Like, I got a lot of feeling of, did you ever play Pure on the PS3? Yes. This gave me a lot of that feel of the off-roading, but taken to an unrealistic level of gravity and physics, which, perfect. I I love this.
1: Yeah. No, no, it it looked like a ton of fun. Mm -hmm. We got Battlefront 2,
2: which I'm not particularly hyped, but it looked
1: cool. When the price goes down, I'll definitely yeah. be picking it up because it is Battlefront. Tristan and I played not a ton, not all the time, but we did play quite a bit and enjoyed it. So yeah, nothing is, against it. Yeah, Just, this is supposed to improve a lot on it, so I I am curious to play it actually.
2: Especially with it uh, being largely multiplayer focused, like I, I know I'm not going to get a lot of replay value after a certain point. But again, it it's cool to see all the various eras here, like friggin' droids from the clone wars were in yeah. there and everything up to, you know, the first order and Kylo Ren. So like, it, it's cool from like, a, it's a star Wars game and a damn good one at that. But again, knowing like, again, how the first battlefront played out where it took almost a year for it to be a complete game. I am reserving my, my judgment on this one.
1: And that's where, when I picked up uh, battlefront, the first one, I got it at a ridiculous sale. I think it was like 10 bucks. So for that price it was such a bargain. So when 2 gets a ridiculous sale as well and I get it for super cheap it'll be a fantastic bargain.
2: Now Joe, you guys picked up the first Battlefront like at launch, didn't you? Yes, we did. And did you like are you excited for Battlefront 2 based on that experience? Um, I personally am not. However, but I am not the decision
3: maker in this. Fr- I'm not the decision maker <laughs> in, this, in this franchise. <laughs> uh, so the high pitching squee that I heard the other day means, uh, yeah, I think, I think we're going to be having it in the house. All right. Fair enough. Good to know. Let us know how it is. I'll be sure to tell you what my opinion of it is. Once I'm told what my opinion of it is. All right. Also
2: very interested in your opinion for the next game up, which is Spider-Man. And we got oh, a dude, Damn good look at what we can expect here from the story. Uh, Again, Martin Lee, Mr. Negative, looks to be the primary villain. Although we've got Norman freaking Osborn looks to be running for mayor of New York. Uh,
3: If a goblin doesn't show up at some point, I'm going to be very disappointed. This is is one step closer to them doing the whole arc where Norman Osborn becomes uh, president. Mm hmm. Uh, I
2: saw, uh, what was her name? Was it Watanabe, the detective who became the Wraith? Yeah, Yeah. Watanabe, yeah. Uh, Yeah, so she's in there, (laughs) cameo by the Shocker. But most importantly, yes, Miles Morales is going to be a very central figure in this story because it looks at some point he actually does have to take over for Peter. And it's not as another Spider-Man. No, this is Miles Morales in the red and blue proper spider-man suit doing the things that for whatever reason peter can't
1: do (laughs) and that's huge you need to let joe talk he is literally biting his fucking fingernails right
3: now (laughs) Okay.
1: (laughs) okay you have to understand
3: the scream of joy that i released when i saw him tugging that on over his face and them choosing specifically the line this is Miles. He's going to be helping around, helping out around here a lot. Like I begged for this and they gave it to me. Thank you. <laughs> I I I am this is a day one purchase for me, right off the bat, just for that alone. I'm so fucking jazzed. I am so fucking excited. I I cannot fucking wait. I ooh, yes, okay, if I go yeah, okay. The door's open now though.
1: To me, and that it, was the most important part of that, because as awesome as, as it is that Miles is in this, clearly, and and hopefully by, by virtue of what Peter said is going to play an important role going forward, one would presume, like we had discussed, maybe even some origin stuff oh. in DLC, that'd be awesome. But what I mean is it opens the door for that Miles Spider-Man game.
3: Well, that's, Vince, that's oh. what Vince was saying you see him put on the Spider-Man outfit. Yeah,
1: but I think that's going to be in this Spider-Man game. In sure, this, I mean, we're going to be able to play as him. But what I mean is, I want a, a Spider-Man game that's Miles. Peter's not even in the fucking game. It's Miles. So to me, that's the path that I want this to take.
2: It's good. Definitely with this story trailer, they kind of lay the seeds of you know Peter potentially retiring or something mm-hmm. along those lines, which, uh, perfect. Yeah, that that's what we want. Yep. Nothing against Peter, but he's bet, had bet, 50 I, it, years.
3: I, and don't don't get me wrong. Like, And I, I could totally see them doing a whole different story arc where, like, you know, Miles occasionally, like, taps in and talks with Peter or something like that. Like, Peter becomes the Spider-Man version of Oracle. I'm fine with something like that. But, like, yes. I prefer if it was like Please. a Batman Beyond situation.
1: Yes, or, that's, or, that's even exactly bad. what I thought. <laughs> that's what I was going to say.
2: But, yeah, all, all around very excited for this one.
1: And, damn, <sighs> did it ever look good. Oh, Mm -hmm. my fucking Lord.
2: And now the next one I kind of need to prepare myself a little bit for because it's our next look at Detroit. Dude. Dude. Where we've seen the hostage negotiator. We've seen the revolutionary. And now we just get this small story with a robot housekeeper in a family with a very abusive husband and father. And this was... A... (laughs) It was hard to watch at a lot of points, which I give credit to the, the the developers for, because that's not easy to do in a virtual setting. And this, this, just this freaking game, man, like it's,
1: it's kind of blowing me away with everything we've seen thus far. If I can say one thing about this game, <laughs> because at this point, what is there to fucking say? And this was confirmed as, after seeing this trailer. For me, if I was buying one game this year. That would be it. And I'm including Destiny 2 in that, which clearly we have demonstrated I love. And I'm including every other fucking game. If I bought, if I had to just buy one, it would be that one. Because there is so much gameplay in there, so many choices you can make, so much replayability, and not just replayability of inconsequential stuff, but what we've seen from every one of their trailers is the consequences are unfucking fucking believable. Like you're talking about children dying. You're, ch- you're talking about this kind of spousal abuse, children, abuse of children. You're talking about all kinds of stuff, the liberation of sentient beings. This would be it for me. Like um, I, I'm it with everything we keep seeing, I keep hoping I'm not going to be disappointed because that'll mean we're getting clearly for me again, the game of the year.
3: See, what's interesting to me is that they're, and I hope that, that this continues, like you said, where they, they start dealing with those more heavy sort of tones, because one of the interesting things about games and art and movies is that you tend to, to form the most emotional bond with that form of media if there's something slightly uncomfortable that resonates with you in a weird way, whether it's, you know, you live through some traumatic experience and now you get to uh, experience fixing that or, or doing something along those lines. And I like that as a thing and I don't want them to, I don't, I don't want them to walk away from that. It's one of the reasons why I loved Hellblade. It's one of the reasons that I love when games do that and they do it right. And from what I'm seeing, Detroit seems to be on the path of doing it right. And I hope that they really fantastically keep on that path.
1: I think that they have the benefit of it being androids, that they can take some freedoms with just how rough they make it because it's one of those, well, they're robots kind of deal. So it's not, they can tackle far harsher realities that we will understand to mean you know, the, the the person-on-person violence that we clearly see all the time in our reality, but here it's against these sentient android beings. I Again, everything that they keep doing impresses me, or I should say everything that we keep seeing and what they're doing.
2: Mm-hmm. And, like, David Cage has gotten a lot of shit over the years, some of it deservedly, for his approach to game development and wanting to make them more cinematic, and the success and failure thereof Uh, but I see like those several years of, you know, heavy rain and whatever the hell the last one was, the two souls game. And even going back before that, like he's, he's figured it out and it's not just him. Of course, like there's an entire studio of people involved here, but this seems to be taking a lot of the stuff that they worked on in those previous games and getting the formula, Right and doing it with a very important and affecting story, which, goddamn, guys, like, bravo.
1: Yeah, yeah,
2: I I can't wait to play this. After that, we got a brief look at God of War. A little bit of gameplay, but not a whole lot to show off there. It's God of War, looks fucking great. Uh, Another quick look at Horizon, the Frozen Wilds DLC, which, Jesus, (laughs) just looks awesome. And then the remaster of Shadow of the Colossus which i is one of the best ps2 games you can play and seeing it upscaled to hd graphics just in a lot of ways makes me realize how ahead of its time that game was yes. because it just it's majestic now like it was impressive before but i very rarely will you see me excited to play a game and pay for a game that I've already played, but this is pretty high up on that list.
1: If they dust in even some PSVR elements, just a few levels or something, I I probably would have bought it immediately because uh, <laughs> that screams for that kind of thing. Mm-hmm.
2: When the trailer starts and it's just you know okay, this kid you know walking out of his hut, the instant he calls the horse, like it brought back every yeah. memory of the original for me. Jeez, (laughs) they they could not have picked a better game to, to finally get around to remastering. And then they closed the show with the last of us too. So not to bring things down, I'll hand this off to one of you guys, because I had my issues with the first one and I still kind of have my issues with this one, but I know a lot of people were excited for it. So I won't air that right now.
1: I'm curious what you mean there. I like, well, you don't know what you mean. It's I
2: understand that it's a lot of their world building that they're doing here with the in a lot of ways gratuitous level of violence that they're using and that goes back to the first reveal of the original game. I I just found it very off-putting
3: and I understand really?
2: that's Yeah, like go back and listen to that episode. It I I was not a fan.
3: Yeah, no, it, it, I remember Vince being very um, not on board with the way that they used. Uh, and it's it, not
2: it's not that I have an issue with violence in general.
3: Almost it's
2: it the way I feel that The Last of Us glorifies a lot of it to set itself up as this gritty, punishing world just doesn't work for me on a personal level.
1: Well, that's interesting because that's actually. Like that's a game that I played with uh, with Tristan a lot. He finished it, and um, we loved it. We absolutely adored oh, it. I fully the, acknowledge this is the
2: Vince thing. This isn't the Last of Us thing.
1: Yeah, I'm just, and I, and it's not judgment, of course. I games are subjective, so it's just that I haven't talked to <laughs> no no joke. I've never talked to anyone. <laughs> Who didn't like it now if you brought it up before sorry i forgot but uh but yeah no this well while yes the violence was uh, you could even say excessive it would be fair and especially at one point um i didn't feel it was gratuitous though as i watched that trailer i and maybe that i
2: will say in this trailer it didn't reach gratuitous levels of you know literally evaporating somebody's head with a shotgun that we saw in the first game. Like that that was more the, my feelings about the, the
1: franchise in general. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Well, what I saw here, I, I liked, I, I really liked. And what's more, it, it also intrigued me. So I was really kind of, okay, now I want to see what's going on here and where this is going. So I, Again, I personally I was all over this. I, I thought this was fantastic.
2: I mean, I do have positive things to say of them moving the story away from Joel and Ellie into this new cast. Like I I think that because I, I feel they told a pretty complete story in the original game. So telling more stories in the world, I respect that by not just going back to the well of here's the characters you recognize. I'm sure they'll show up. But I, I like that they're taking on a new cast of
1: characters dealing with Similar events, but I said it just—I'm not into it. See, it was like you're saying there. For me, it kind of gave me that—the uh, Walking Dead feel for for Telltale. You know, you're mm-hmm. get, you're getting the different experiences with different people at different times, but all within that IP. And so that's what we're in here. And as long as we can care for those characters in the same way as we did for Joel and Ellie and crew then that would be great that's that's fine and because you're looking at you know the same studio putting it out presumably there's then again they know what they're doing so we're going to get a good experience out of this they point blank said too in an interview how like all of the everything that they've learned in every single one of their games is being applied towards this so one would presume that means that If as long as you're all right with those themes, which you aren't, but I clearly am. um, We could probably expect something really, really well done. Mm -hmm. So that wraps up uh,
2: Sony's press conference at Paris Games Week. Overall, a lot of fantastic stuff. And this is is just kind of a warm up because isn't PSX coming up in like two months?
1: Yeah, I think we're going to get a lot of the same obviously i i can't imagine there's that many more surprises how many times have we said that about sony this is true fuck though it's it was one of those where again during the pre-show there was enough that it was like ooh, i like that Ooh, i like that but clearly they're, they're all psvrs so i'm going to be excited about them but then start watching the actual presser and it was like one after another after another you're going jesus h christ this is fucking amazing but then it Again, it's a Sony presser, and as of late, they're killing them. And even stuff that we've
2: seen before, they're able to present it in a different enough light that it's not like, oh, it's this game again. Like, no, oh, it's this game again, and oh, what else are they showing us? Like, I think the only thing in this entire presentation that I would say was disappointing was Call of Duty, just because, again, the franchise has been around forever, and God of War, simply because they didn't really show us much of anything. But... Aside from that, I like, everything they showed again, even games that they'd showed off previously was still impressive in new and exciting ways. Yeah, definitely.
1: Okay. Let's move on from there. We're going to, of course, we're going to touch on some destiny Two briefly for a little bit, but Joe really? finally, well, we're going to try to keep it brief, <laughs> but Joe finally, I should say finally, but Joe finished the, uh, the campaign, um, I, obviously I'd finished it already on PS4, but I finished it on uh PC as well. And then I finished it off. My son finished his and I helped Allie finish hers off and then Joe finished his off. So Joe, now you are free to spoil all the things. Go nuts! We've all we've all done it, so we there's no spoilers here. And anybody listening, if they haven't done it, well, too fucking bad. But uh, yeah, it's all you, buddy.
3: So first, I want to commend Bungie on telling a cohesive story from start to finish of the campaign, and making the epic beats feel truly epic. Uh, from the fall of the city, which everybody has seen at this point. Uh, to you getting your light back, which felt rather epic. And, And the manner in which you did it was, I think, rather interesting. The whole concept of you find a shard of the Traveler that fell off of it as it hit Earth. Like... We don't know what happened there or where that shard came from or why that shard's there, but it was considered that is a discussion for another day, my friend. <laughs> oh, <yeah. laughs> but it's one of those things where, like, apparently, and the, the, a lot of this is new to me too. So people have looked into this further than me. Well, good thing for you. Um, but it's one of those weird things where I look at it and, like, it was like, we never went after it before. Why didn't we go after it before? Now, all of a sudden, we don't have a choice but to go after it. And very clearly, there are people in the the EDZ that know that this is a thing that exists. Huh. Alright. Well, I'm super intrigued. Uh, but then, as you get that back and you get your new class, which is the new subclass, uh, it was very, very epic. It felt very, very good. The entire firefight felt really nice. Um, and then you had all these nice little story missions as you're trying to reunite the uh, dregs of humanity, the, the ones that have lost their light and, and trying to in some cases, give the ultimate pep talk to the uh, to the, the three guardians, the, the, the emo, the vanguard. <laughs> dude, I like that. For like, the record, I, I didn't stand, bring that up. I stand by my statement. I, the bullshit. The How can you stand honest, by? Honest, not, because of this of of those three characters, the one I expected to be sullen was Zavala. Mm-hmm. That's it. Ikora, I expected to be fucking driven. Not, like th- that's the one thing that threw me because I expected literally a role reversal of the two, like what we got. I expected Zavala to be I built this impenetrable fortress. I united humanity. I was at the forefront of this. I I ushered in this this great era of of you know survival. Essentially, like I, we did this thing. I'm very proud of my thing, and it's no longer here. Shit, fuck. What do I do now? And I expected Icor to be the one that was just like. You know what? Fuck this. I know the mysteries of the universe. I'm going to figure this shit out. Let's fucking go to work. And it was just really the opposite, where Ikora was like, I have one life. I, I have one life. What am I going to do with this? And then Kate, of course, is the mad dog that just kind of goes and does things, which made me very, very happy.
1: Uh, but that whole... okay, but That if, whole thing was happy. If I can interject there, for sure. Ikora, I would say, and this is where I disagree with you, and because... I think that you're expecting a a one-dimensional character. Luckily, in this case, you're expecting a badass one-dimensional, but only in that she is a badass woman that is resourceful, intelligent, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And you're not affording for the fact that she lost everything. And they sure. all did, but she did as well. And now she's down to, again, that one life to live, essentially, which is making her think. I didn't see it as emotional so much as just... Well, it is emotional, clearly, but not emo. But thinking and trying to figure things out and 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 whatnot, and and dealing, processing. And I think that by thinking she can only be one thing in this case, badass, it's- intelligent, driven, doesn't afford for her to give her the right to also mourn and be and to be sullen oh. and to be to to have to deal with this. Sure, and, and I'm not disagreeing with you on that fact, and I, and I have no
3: problem. if She was like maybe slightly sullen or slightly morning, but it became too much of a thing where, it, and again, this is maybe me reading too much into it. The female character of the three was the one that broke down and had to be spurred into action by our character. And I, I that's what bothers me. Zavala was
1: not that driven either. Yeah, Zavala was broken as well. Yeah, he really, really was.
2: <laughs> but for for me, it read more of not necessarily that she's upset that like her immortality is gone, but of the three Vanguard, she was by far the most spiritual as well. And having essentially God ripped away from her and killed it. That is what I, what I read it as with that spiritually she was wounded and needed to go heal. And And also all of the places,
1: all of the places that meant something to her were being ravaged and destroyed as well. So, again, going back to the idea of everything is falling apart for this woman, of course she's going to feel and she's going to need to deal with that kind of thing. And, oh. again, just of, I felt, and I could be wrong, but I felt, again, that Zavala was the one that needed a lot more prodding in order to finally be like, yeah, let's fucking do this now. And that's not what I got from her.
0: Yeah, I didn't I mean I totally see where you're coming from on that Joe. Um but our character had to bring everybody back to let them like correct their arc basically cuz without the guardian Zavala's going to wallow in like I failed humanity. Uh I feel like Ikora's uh not wallowing in self-pity but just her Zavala, excuse me, Ikora's the smartest person in the like there are the only two warlocks who can outthink her possibly would be Toland the Shadowed, who matters for the hive stuff and Osiris. we am going to get to talk about in a little bit. And I'm very excited. Um, <laughs> and Cade, like Cade was going to like just off himself in order to kill goal. You know and, what though?
3: But that, yeah. that's a very Kate, like that of, that oh, of the three you. Cade stayed Cade stayed the course. Like, that. A harebrained scheme in order to bring down the big bad is perfectly a Cade thing.
1: 100%. But that's what you like, would expect from that character. You don't need depth. Yeah. You don't expect depth from her. You do. Yeah. With Ikora, it, it, it feels to me like.
0: I
3: am very clearly can...
0: outnumbered. <laughs> well, I see where you're coming from though, but I'm just trying to like, I I feel like Icora was uh, everything she knew was just taken from her, from her spirituality to her network of hidden to everything that she thought she understood, like Ikora as a warlock is supposed to know a lot about the traveler. And here comes this, this, this cabal dude who just rips everything from her and basically well, says, you know, nothing.
3: It's, it's okay. funny. You should mention talking about knowing everything about the traveler. Cause we very clearly do not know shit about the fucking traveler. Amen to that. Now. And, yeah. I, I, I just want to try to progress through. I don't want to argue about the, sure, 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 about yeah, the yeah, yeah. of the characters. I want to just kind of keep going here a little bit. Uh, the interesting things for me is how the the cutscenes were interwoven into the missions in this one, which, again, I give them a lot of credit for. And some of the weirdest, coolest, and most thought-provoking scenes were between Gaul and the speaker. Oh, God, yeah. mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Not only was he super fucking sassy, which I absolutely love, <laughs> but the wh- what got me the final scene before we go and, and siege the city when Gal decides he's not going to try to beg the traveler for for, you know, the grace of light, he kills his mentor. He, you know, the the speaker is now dead at his feet. But before that happens, this he says, "What do I have to do to, to, What does a traveler want from me?" And the speaker says this one line that just made my jaw drop. <laughs> you and, and everybody it's, else. <laughs> it's I said I, I said I, I speak for the traveler. Not that the Traveler talks to me. And I'm just sitting there like, well, oh, fuck! Holy shit! He's a goddamn cult leader! Mm-hmm.
2: Like, so
3: I what? was the only one not surprised by that?
0: No, I wasn't surprised.
3: I wasn't because, surprised? Because we, we knew the would. Traveler
2: was dormant. I, I always assumed that, you know, he was speaking for the Traveler, like, based on teachings and history, I, I never thought that, you know, the Traveler oh, was in communication. But here's another
3: interesting thing about that, right? And, and, and this is the thing. Like,
2: it doesn't make it any less of a badass line, because that just means he's been leading Gaul on the whole fucking time, essentially stalling him while the yeah. Guardians can get their shit together.
3: But the interesting thing about that, and I, and I didn't notice this until I went back, the Guardian didn't have a ghost, or the Speaker didn't have a ghost. I I, I didn't... Speaker's just a dude. Yeah, he's just a dude. He was not touched by the light. There
0: was a rumor that the Speaker was a Guardian, but if I go back to Destiny 1, I think he actually... I'd have to go back and check, but I think
3: the Speaker had a ghost back in Destiny 1. I did not see anything. I actually looked at videos. I did not see anything. anything with him with a ghost. He could not... I mean, that's another thing. Like He would have been... Uh, completely unaffected by
0: losing the light and when it would, like, I can't imagine one of the guardians surviving the way that uh, the speaker had to after losing the light because it looks like you're just
3: completely drained And how long well, it yeah, takes you're,
0: Zavala and everybody to regain their you're strength
3: corpse, you're a corpse on feet When before, you, before mm-hmm. you get your ghost back, you are a corpse on feet, and the speaker even though he's captured and being tortured is virtually unaffected not in the same way you would expect mm-hmm. so like That's still getting smacked around by a 600 pound space rhino. (laughs) But that's that 600 pound space rhino wants to keep him alive. Like, but it it was very interesting to like this entire time we've been listening to the speaker. What was his actual game plan? Like, really super interesting. Now, (laughs) pay no attention to the man behind the curtain. That was his game. (laughs) But then there's the interesting moments past that, too, where that entire final sequence is just absolutely mind-blowingly epic when you're traversing through the rooftops of the city that's amazing we, i always wanted to see more of the city and in the first one we were in this, the 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 tower that's it that's all you saw you saw like a, a few spaces of the tower nothing more and your view out into the world was very limited but like here you're going rooftop to rooftop you're finding these paths you're you're fighting back the cabal from the rooftops and invading the city and you're making your way towards where the fire team that you just got together the the three guardians uh which some great lines in there with but you know between cave losing an arm and as far <laughs> as i'm concerned the best npc in the game colonel um it's just this great and the music just when it hits it was fantastic and then you get to Gaul's ship and that final fight you're fighting a fucking god he steals the light and that whole sequence plays out. Holy shit. That was amazing. And then that last cut scene where you kill him, he cracks apart. The light that he had stolen escapes him. And he comes into this big manifestation of the light. And he turns and he, he says, I am a God. I am a mortal. I have, you know, do you see me now traveler? And, you know, he turns around like he's about to, you know, go fuck you up a little bit. And then the traveler breaks out of its shell. The light breaks out of this this cage that he used in order to harness the light and then jump starts the universe it's almost like a mini big bang happens
1: you know what and this is where we think differently (laughs) because first thing that came to my mind as a parent was (laughs) (laughs) gary is a you know four-year-old looking at his mom and dad and saying, you're not the boss of me. Look at how important. And the parent going, slop on the ass. Get the hell out of here. <laughs> That's what that was. Him saying, look at me. I'm a god. I'm a... And then all of a sudden, <laughs> the traveler go, poosh. <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> but what I,
3: what I thought was cool, too, is is that extra little scene after all that happens where you see the, the wave of the light pulsing through the universe Mm-hmm. And then waking up something in the dark. And those look like uh, Vex Pyramids ships to me. They are They're not. Nope.
1: I thought they were.
0: Nope. I thought they were too.
3: Nope. All right. Vex All right. Marty. Tell, Marty
0: tell me a thing. <laughs> okay. So let's talk. Of, like, there's so much to like dig into. And I don't even know where to start. So let's start with Osiris and the Vex. Because that's where we're headed up next.
2: Actually, well, this, it, not to interrupt you too much, but this actually, um, one of the developers at a uh, conference or something confirmed that when we see that wave of light coming out of the Traveler and yep. touching all those destinations, that's actually telling us where we're going next in the game. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Where we the that, first yeah, yeah. place yeah, yeah. it touches is Mercury, which mm-hmm. is Curse of Osiris. So,
0: And the second place is Mars, and then it's the Reef and the Dreadnought. So... I don't know when we're going to... Uh, there's so
2: much. But yeah, Vince, you're totally right. And that's where I was I was going to back well, into mean, that. I'm just repeating what somebody else said, so don't give me too uh, much credit.
0: Oh, yeah. I When I saw that again, I'm like, oh, that is so brilliant. and um, oh, I read that. But long story short, the Vex don't need ships. Where they're going, they don't need them. They travel by gate. Because sure. somehow they've, you know... I don't know how it's worked, but uh, they are... Uh, A causal beings, so they just jump around, affect, and then do their time reasoning. Um, but the last, the 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 big reveal was in one of the destiny art books. The fifth race that was allied with the darkness referenced those pyramid flying ships, um, and they are like not entirely corporeal beings. Uh, they're like Living, it looks like they were drawn like to be living darkness or shadows. If you've been playing D anD D for over thirty years, so I have a tendency to think that the dark, they, those things are more tied to the darkness than even the hive are. Um, the hive are kind of sort of yeah, like the hive we're making is the assumption
3: servants to the darkness. These guys yeah. are the darkness. But then we're making the assumption that Bungie actually now knows what the darkness is. I hope that's the case. Well, I they, think they've said that they what they thought
2: the darkness was originally going to be they scrapped that plan and they now do have more concrete concepts of the darkness with my finger quotes that you can hear
0: they because they spent this game trying to figure out like what does it mean to be a guardian what does it mean to have the light and what what does it mean to be a human being in this post golden age second golden age kind of thing and what's what this clash represents and then going forward, like, okay, so if that's what this is all about, then we can kind of get a better handle on what the darkness is. But we're going to get a twist before that. Um, we're going to see something that has to do, I would guarantee, that it's not so cut and dry that the Traveler is good and that the darkness is just
2: evil. Because that's kind of, oh, well, that is dichotomous and that is, can be more.
3: The darkness is Galactus, a force of cosmic nature. Well, they both are, at least in my opinion, because I mean, you can't. It's that old thing: yeah. you can't have darkness without light, you can't have light without darkness, because the two, yeah. the two define each other, right? I am reminded
0: of destruction in Neil Gaiman's wonderful uh, Sandman series, where he didn't want to be destruction anymore. All he wanted to do was create, and everybody was trying to tell him can't create without destroying something. So, and that's where we're going to be headed. But that's that's basically like Destiny Three or Destiny.
2: That's uh, really absolutely excited. destiny three.
0: Yeah. So I'm super excited that we're going to see what those things are. Um, I really want to see like the fallen doing something on the dreadnought, but that's just me. Um, I'm, I just want to see the Fallen like, doing something period.
2: I think we're going to see it in, cause there's already been, yeah, but, so, but where <laughs> like, they're not going to be on Mercury. I doubt they're going to be up to much on Mars or be dealing with cabal and war there. Right. I guess the Reef is really when they're going to be relevant again. That'll probably be the first like full expansion next year.
0: I think so. Like The Reef would be super cool. Um, I think what we're going to get when it comes to The Fallen, though, is that they're building up to something. We've had The thing is, with The Fallen, we've had two big expansions. We have one DLC and one expansion, basically, with The Fallen, uh, with Rise of Iron. And allegedly, SIVA's coming back. Oh, absolutely. See yeah. um, I, I, I see it happening, too. Um, and then there's the House of Judgment, and then there there's the House of Dusk, which was recently data mined. And I was avoiding it while you guys were playing on the PC version, um, and I broke down and read it today because <laughs> I wanted to talk about it because it's been data mined from the PC version. And so the next set of faction, or, uh, the next faction rally is going to deal with something in the House of Dusk, which that's a brand new fallen house. Um,
2: what was it when they when they were showing off season four and they showed the faction rally? It had uh, you know new monarchy, future war cult, dead orbit, and a question mark. Ooh. Like I saw a graphic that clearly had space for four factions. Yeah, I I
0: would I would expect it to be House Judgment because it looks like they're setting up a good fallen, bad fallen kind of thing. And I would not be surprised if in the next version of Destiny you get to play the fallen. Because um, there's there's also a connection between the light and ether, um,
2: which is really. Longy. I mean that's some, that's something to keep in mind. The fallen right. were touched by the traveler. Exactly. A- after they were abandoned when the darkness came for the traveler and the traveler fucked off, that's when they became pirates and scavengers. Exactly. The only way to survive, and now we've gone around and killed basically their all their
0: servitors and their cows and all their dregs, and it's. Like, the people are pointing out that the Fallen are getting more and more desperate to the point where they can see changes to the model between, um, between patches, even. Which I haven't confirmed, but uh, I would like to look into. But let's talk about Osiris very briefly and this upcoming DLC. Uh, and it's this beautiful trailer of this uh, Guardian, this Warlock with a funky-looking ghost is running around, popping out a scout rifle and taking pot shots at the Vex. Uh, The thing is, like, he looks like a total hero, but then we hear Ikora basically saying he was exiled from the city because his ideas were too dangerous. And we're going to go have to rescue this guy. That doesn't mean wrong. (laughs) Right.
1: But, man, he can fight.
0: (laughs) Right. And we're going to go rescue him because we are paracausal and we are immune to the effects of time travel or something, I guess. I don't know. Uh, they'll probably give us a space. We're the fucking
3: Guardian. We got it. Yeah, don't
0: worry. Exactly. We're well, a
2: PC. That's what we
0: have. <laughs> right. We have PC um, But what has me super interested in this is, so everything we've been talking, we've talked about the, the leak and this is going to be procedurally generated infinite forest and that we're going to go explore this role and this lore with Osiris it's Bungie does not take names like that just because they sound cool. There is something about Osiris, you know, the God of the dead and the returning Pharaoh from the afterlife
3: that has to be a part of, I think is going I, to be a part of this. I'm wondering I'm just if throwing uh, it out there pyramids. Well, yeah. Right. But I also think this, I think this is going to give us more about the nine too. I would agree because the trials I mean, have, yeah, the trials of Osiris, I mean, the fact that, you know, there's been all these theories going around about, oh, you know, the Nine were originally just like a, a you know, nine-person fire team, you know, three fire teams of three. I, I don't think it's that. I think they were transcend... Like, they transcended uh, what our concept of reality is or what our concept of the universe is. Like, and Xur kind of hints to that a little bit, right? Like, yeah. he says they're very large. I cannot explain... Uh, and, and things like that It's like, it always made me think Maybe the Traveler's a nerd Because the Traveler created the Nine Well, so
0: the Nine There's a great Destiny card That goes like, here's what the Nine could be Like, nine surviving war mines That were flung into deep space And have returned changed Or nine ghosts Or, uh, what was it? Leviathan-like sea creatures That survive in the hydrocarbon pits of Titan." Uh, so there's a lot, and I think we're going to get hinted at, there will eventually be a reveal, and I think it will be, no matter what it is, it's going to be a letdown, just because there's been so much speculation about what the the Nine are. Um, something that I missed in three years of playing this freaking game is that the Nine control what's left of the human colonies in the Jovians. Mm-hmm. So there's like colonies on, colonized Europa and Io and Titan and a whole bunch of other of a whole bunch of other moons, and then nine control them all, and they're all changed uh, by the darkness and by the travelers' releasing of the light that created uh, the first time that created all the ghosts. But, like, there's going to be time travel, and there's going to be, you know, Vex from all ages. Which, so if you played in the Vault of Glass, you play in you're bouncing between uh, future Mars and past Mars to where you're in the fighting in between the Black Garden and doing all this crazy stuff. Um, because basically the Vault of Glass is a giant quantum computer that is calculating all possibilities. And so we blow it up because we're the Guardian, we blow things up. Uh, and so what that means for the Vex on Mercury and how we're going to interact with Osiris, and also, what's it have to do with the pyramidion on Titan? Because the structures are vaguely similar, except the pyramidion is is more uh, well, it's not glass; it's just solid vexy stuff. So we don't. Well, know we also know now too there.
3: that the the vex are are at least slightly organic too, from the, oh, yeah. the regular campaign quest. Like they're converting a planet into almost like a, a weird data bio right. substance.
2: Why, why would a robotic race need to terraform anything. Right, right. exactly.
3: But they do. And
0: why? why did they give it birds? Why are there fucking birds on Nessus? Like that has mm-hmm. what why do Radio Lauren need birds? That's a good question. Um there is uh there's some also really good cards from Destiny One that talk about the hallucinogenic effects that the, the Vex have as uh, their end goal has been as described from the get-go to write themselves and Ikora even says this, they want to write themselves into the basic structure of the universe so they would be like subatomic vex particles, like subatomic radiolarin pods it just, because that's how they want to survive the end of all things Um and they become there's a faction of them that become evil because of their connection to the Hive but that doesn't necessarily mean that all Vex are going to be bad. There is totally a possibility that Osiris can either go back in time before the. Uh, do something that frees the Vex from the hive way of thinking. Uh, it's a pretty amazing ground to begin building future Vex stories. Because for all. Yeah, you don't think that's going to be in the scene. DLC, though, right? No, I don't think it's going to be in the DLC. It's going to be set up in the DLC. Right. I think we're going to get payoff in it later. Like, we're going to get a... I think we're getting a new raid with the DLC and uh, fixing Trials of the Nine. But we're going to see, like, Osiris' research into the Vex. And we're going to hopefully get a lot more lore about what the Vex are, what their plans are, what's the deal with Nessus, Um Why are they turning planets into giant supercomputers? Is that just to further their plot of writing themselves into, to power their end game of becoming a basic particle of reality, or is it something different? So, and do all Vex think that way?
1: All right, we are going to cut it there. Thank you very much. We can, of course, find these short notes at forthelore.com. You can find us on Twitter at forthelore or individually. Joel is Lutters at J. is Simodian. Marty, Marty is Officer Gleason and I am Zen Buddhist. And you can also leave us your thoughts on iTunes and Stitcher. And with that, we will see you guys next week.
2: Excellent.